First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, Oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. You tuned in to what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call Earth. It is of course for a triple a Z, be it on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker, listening via the Community Radio Plus app or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4zz.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show for that matter using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. We also have a weekly podcast of the show for your listening pleasure a condensed version of the show without the music, which my mum prefers. Just search for our show name, which is, of course, No Idea Spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today to speak about all things science are some of my favourite science communicators. May I please introduce Vibrant V, (laughs) Prolific Peter, and Gregarious Gabe. (laughs) Nice. Not just all... Week Max, all things Doctor Who. Oh, the second hour of the show. Yeah. There is a Doctor Who special up for your listening pleasure. Yeah. You guys sat in a room last week. We did. Looked through the three specials that have come out for Doctor Who, as well as I think a bit on the past and present and future of Doctor Who because it's the season. It is uh, the season. Which means there's a Doctor Who special coming out on 5th as well right. this year. Christmas mm. special. The first one for the next 15th Doctor Who. Shooty Gutwa, I think that's Shooty how you Shooty Gutwa, that's yeah. it, as the new Doctor. Uh, so, that's coming up. But between then and now, <laughs> we're going to talk weird science, <laughs> we're going to talk marine science, we're going to talk, uh, maybe try and squeeze in a bit of space stuff. We'll see what we get oh, really? over okay. the next hour, yeah. Max. Yeah, fair enough. But let's kick it off. Capturing, collecting and collaborating in Brisbane for Brisbane. Videographers with a creative eye for your next project, idea, band, brand or image. Find them at visionxnoise.com and visionxnoise on all social media. Proud sponsor of 4 Triple Z. How's that reverb? You tune into 4 Triple Z and this show is No Idea with me, Max V, Peter. And Gabe, and it's time for some of this. What do you reckon, Gabe? You want to give it a go? Uh, sure. I've got some breaking reindeer weird science for you this morning, Max. Very festive. Very festive. I think these researchers like to schedule something to come out every few years (laughs) right (laughs) in December. Uh, because Hold the paper, guys. It's <laughs> all about... Well, it's kind of taking a dig at Rudolph in particular really? about maybe being a bit of a fraud about claiming that he needed the bright nose to guide the sleigh because it seems like reindeer have pretty damn good vision of their own mm. because they can see in UV light. You know this? Reindeer what? can see UV. That's crazy. Reindeer- so do they have four cones or something? I have no idea how many cones they have, but they can <laughs> see UV. Okay. <laughs> 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 Thanks to some research out of Dartmouth College. QS ranking, anyone? Uh, this is 74. Yeah, I'll go 83. 90. Go higher. Yeah, 237. <laughs> <laughs> I now know why they can see in UV light. I'll yeah. first, I'll get into a bit of, of, of mm. how they do it for you, Peter. Because mm. there's been previous research that's shown that reindeer eyes change between summer and winter. The, mm. the effect of this is basically to help them pick up more blue light in winter because that's the dominant light that you get in the very snowy areas with low light 
conditions that reindeer typically are in in winter, right? So if they can see more blue, they can see more light overall and be able to see uh, more of their environment around them. Yeah. Um, but they're also able to see in UV light. They're, they're, they can let in up to 60% of ultraviolet light pass through their eyes' color sensors, which means they don't see the winter world just as like a really deep blue. Mm. Uh, like we see it in pretty blue. They'd probably see it in very, very blue, plus this UV stuff that would add like a purple hue around them as well mm. of um, of what they can see mm. and it turns out this new research has found that it's probably all about their food which is not carrots but is lichen reindeer survive <gasps> in the wild by eating lichen which are algae and fungus living together is one thing uh, and it's not just any like any old type of lichen mm. the the only population of reindeer in britain wild population almost entirely relies on one species of lichen called cladonia Rangifernia, or I think that Rangifernia. <laughs> and what, it glows in UV light, does it? Yeah. Uh, opposite, Max. Ah. To the human eye, it yeah. would be pretty much invisible. It's white. Yes. So against the snow, okay. we'd see nothing. Ah. Uh, but they found that when they looked, they like made a camera mimic what a reindeer's sight would be, mm -hmm. to our best knowledge, mm. um, where you get this UV light coming through. And the UV light gets absorbed by this type of lichen, which means when they see it, they see the really bright reflection of the snow is a massive UV reflection. Mm. And then they see dark patches, ah, which is the white non-presence of UV light. The gotcha. UV. Yeah. So, you know, you see those videos of people putting on sunscreen and UV light and it makes their face go sort of very dark mm. yep, yep. as soon as they put the sunscreen that bit because it's absorbing all that UV or yeah, reflecting okay. and then they reverse it. Yeah. But it's the same sort of thing for a, for a uh, reindeer. I thought that was all CGI, mate. But that's dark right. patches. Yeah. <laughs> And that's how they find their food. <laughs> uh, but apparently they did, for what it's worth, they did give Ra uh, Rudolph a saving grace. They put out some research in 2015. Mm -hmm. I don't know where this was published or how it was published or if it was peer-reviewed. Mm. I don't think it was. Effectively, the same researcher, or at least one of the researchers, found that the, the, a small red glow off the front of a reindeer would help it in foggy conditions. <laughs> Like a fog light. <laughs> Wouldn't get hit by a car. Wow. <laughs> it was a slow month. Yeah. Time to start that's genetically modifying all the reindeer. That's right. <laughs> well, that's interesting because mine is also on vision, would you believe, this week? I would believe that. I know. It's beer goggles. Oh. Right. Yes. The other Christmas tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Scientists from the University of Portsmouth, QS ranking. Oh, Go large. 320. 429. Go. Uh, I said 90. Oh, sorry. I'll stick to what Five, I said. 502. Oh. Right. Uh, recently tested the popular theory of beer goggles. And for those unfamiliar, unfamiliar with this, this is when people are more likely to find someone more attractive while on the grog because their faces appear more symmetrical. The scientists wanted to test the veracity of such attraction while intoxicated, but well, when sober, not so much. The usual explanation has been that attractiveness comes from not being able to detect facial asymmetry when pissed, therefore making potential partners more visually appealing. And to be fair, past research has supported this assertion that more facial symmetry means that someone comes from a better gene pool. Would you believe that? A better no, gene pool? because I've heard the exact opposite. Okay. You want asymmetry. <laughs> no, that's, that's what I thought the theory was. I've was been it? hearing this for like the past 10 years. <laughs> Everyone was saying like, oh, facial symmetry is an aesthetic thing, but in reality, people are more drawn to people with asymmetrical faces. Well, I must... Because I'm, I yeah. thought it had more genetic diversity. If yeah, you know, oh, there you oh. go. I might have to but stop the study now, aren't I? Like, well, no, you see, here's the thing. Mm. I didn't study this. This isn't <laughs> my field. I don't know. I'm just remembering what I've heard. Okay. This is a clear example of mm. my cognitive bias. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I have a hugely asymmetric face, so maybe I just want that to be true. I think we all got asymmetric faces. I think so. I mean, how, I how, do, how do we all hook up? Well, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go around the room and rank each other. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'll just have this beer first. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Brisbane six. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, together the results, the research team visited a local pub in Portsmouth a total of 99 women and men volunteered for the study, ranging in age from 18 to 62 years of age. 36 test photos were used for the study, a combination of 18 OG snaps, and then the same 18 photos digitally altered to exaggerate asymmetry. Participants were asked to rate the 18 individual faces for attractiveness and symmetry, each type of rating was given twice, once for faces showing doctored as asymmetry 
and then for the same faces in the natural form. Participants were then asked their preferred symmetrical photo. As predicted, heavily intoxicated individuals were less able to distinguish natural from asymmetric faces than the more sober drinkers. But surprisingly, the drunk respondents did not rate the faces as being any more attractive. Oh. So there you go. Both male and female participants rated the OG faces, the original faces, as being more attractive than the ones that were doctored with a higher bias being reported by women. The paper published in the Journal of Psychopharmacology says one possible explanation for the findings could be that the attractiveness depends on many factors that simply overwhelm the small effects of facial symmetry. Mm. The researchers freely admit that the r- further research is required and that beer goggles has clearly less influence on attractiveness than previously thought. I do think if beauty could be put down to just symmetry or asymmetry, beauty industry probably would have figured that out about 80 years ago. <laughs> the industry is not to be underestimated. They know. Exactly. <laughs> you tuned into 4 Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max. V... Izzy's in the room. Woo! We've got Peter and we've got Gabe. And Hello. it's part time for a bit of this. Part two. Ooh, weird. Ooh, weird what do you got for us, Izzy? Well, it's that time of year now in about five ooh, five days. A lot of children may be opening up their Christmas presents to find a Barbie doll in there. So this is from the um, Christmas edition of the British Medical Journal where they talked about um, <laughs> this Barbie is maybe breaking some PPE standards. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> so um, this is a... Oh, let me find this lovely researcher. Um, Catherine Klammer set out to investigate the different types, uh, kinds of medical and scientific fields that Barbie dolls worked in to compare them to other career dolls and determine whether or not they met clinical and laboratory safety standards. Yes. <laughs> so. So good. I'm living for this. One of the, the, the life's greatest joys is watching a medical TV show or something with someone who's doing med or studying med or something and yep. they just get the, get the whole time getting pissed off about how they're not wearing gloves and how the mm, shark yeah. isn't secured to the wall and all this just crap. Just watching them malfunction in real time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also, it's so cute. People are graduating now. It's this graduation season now and some people are receiving like Dr. Barbie dolls mm. in with their graduation yes. presents. Anyway. <laughs> Her findings were based on analysis of 92 Barbie branded career dolls, 53 doctors, wow. 10 scientists, 2 science educators, 15 nurses, 11 dentists, and 1 paramedic. Yeah, I know. With a comparison group of 65 non-Barbie brand career dolls, which included 26 doctors, 27 scientists, 7 nurses, 2 dentists, 2 engineers, and 1 MRI technician. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Yeah. So these are are non... This is their (laughs) control group. Yeah. So they found... So they did a visual analysis of looking at not only the clothing, their accessories, their packaging, um, but also their, like, the demographics as well. So um, most Barbie brand career dolls were depicted as 98% adults, 93% female, and 59% white, and no dolls were depicted by having any visible disability. In comparison, those dolls were th- the other dolls were 32% white, and one doll even had a prosthetic arm. Mm. So, the Barbie brand medical professional dolls largely treated children, 66%, and only three dolls, 4%, depicted working with other adult patients. What Really, what really stood out to me was 98% of the Barbie branded dolls came with stethoscopes as their medical accessories, mm-hmm. and only 4% of them came with face masks mm. or disposable gloves. There you what? go. This Barbie Shocking. is breaking PPE standards. Just sticking her hands in Just sticking her hands. They also, more than two thirds of the Barbie branded female medical professional and scientist dolls wore loose hair. Mm. More than half of them wore high heel shoes, even in settings where this would be discouraged. Um, Big and thing, no. <laughs> and <of> the 12... <laughs> the dietary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> 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 of the 12 scientist Barbie brand dolls, none of them met the proper personal protection equipment requ- requirements re- um, related to hair and clothing. The only one who did was, um, I think it was a like a, um, a neuroscience mm. Barbie. Right. And her hair was like plastered back. Right. And what about Ken? Are we getting Ken get a, a girl? No, here? No, this, no okay. he's too busy beaching. Ken doesn't work in medicine. <laughs> yeah, come on. He's only beaching. He, he doesn't, doesn't have beach. a degree. <laughs> so, 
you must remember that Ken is an accessory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really important. Wait, can I come back to one thing that you mentioned? Yeah. Ninety-eight percent were adults. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Two percent of them were children. Well, there is like the Barbie's no in the in the Barbie canon universe. She's mm. got a little yeah. sister, Kelly, I believe, yeah. and right. I believe there is a Kelly like play doctor set. So I think that's what accounts for that two percent. Kelly play doctor, right? But yeah, she doesn't need PPE. She doesn't have patience. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Anyway, <laughs> baby Kelly has uh, patience. That's right. That's a larger breaking <laughs> yeah. medical rules, I believe. Exactly. Lack of PPE is the least of our worries. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly hasn't done her Hippocratic oath. <laughs> <laughs> Let's focus on that first. That's right. Yeah, so consider consider looking deeply at whether or not buying <laughs> your child a Barbie doll this Christmas may lead them to committing some sort of ethical th- fraud later on in That's their right. careers. Yeah. <laughs> if your kid isn't wearing their goggles in science, it's <laughs> your fault for giving them a Barbie who didn't wear them in the first exactly. place. Exactly. Yeah, bad role model. You tune into Four Triple Z, and this show is No Idea, your weekly dose of science with me, Max, V, Izzy, Gabe and our friendly neighbourhood marine scientist and a master of science as well. (laughs) What do you got for us this week, Peter? Today I have very festive sharks. (laughs) 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 You all know I love sharks. Sharks are great. And to any and all of you who have seen the 2005 classic The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl or really any Discovery Channel in the 2000s, it's probably been burned into your brain that sharks need to do one thing to survive swim like they can't stop swimming oh, <laughs> i read this i know where you're heading with this one this is good oh okay well don't spoil it for the rest no, of okay. no, i that's my job um, <laughs> <laughs> essentially it's like this it's ongoing idea sharks need to keep moving to survive because that's how they get the water over their gills to get oxygen out it's this stoic sleepless mindless predator story that's been fed to us like a thousand times and at least for the breathing part of it it's actually largely been accepted by science for uh, the most part But just to get you up to speed on what we've known for, you know, a while now, um, the must-keep-swimming-to-survive thing is true, but only for a few sharks. Like, it's not all sharks, obviously. Like, if you think of a wobbygong, they're sitting there for hours at a time. They don't move really at all. So only some sharks are those swimming-to-breathe ones. They're called obligate ram ventilators, and they need to move in order to flow water through their gills to get the oxygen out of that water. There are also other kinds. Uh, One of them is a buccal pumper, which means that they're able to move their gills because they have muscles on them to pump the water over them manually so it's like essentially fanning yourself but with your own gills you can also sort of like face into a current or something but you know those are the main two ones and being able to do something like that means that they can stop moving like the wobbly or even sleep but up until now there has been no suggestion of sleep behavior in ram ventilators or the swimming sharks like at all because you know how would they they're swimming it's very difficult to sleep. Previous hypotheses have thought that either they just don't sleep at all or that maybe they sleep using half their brain at the time, like a dolphin does, because we know the dolphins do that because mm. they're mammals, they have to breathe constantly, they can't just sleep at the bottom anyway. So that was kind of what we thought they must have to do if they slept at all. Not really sure. And one of these swimmers is the grey reef shark. It's an endangered species of shark that lives around reefs, sort of around the world. And it recently shocked some surveyors when they found a couple of them in the Seychelles resting under a rock. You know, the thing that they're not really meant to be able to do, like just sitting there. (laughs) Stationary. Stationary, exactly. (laughs) But more than just resting, it appeared like they were sleeping. Now, sharks don't have eyelids, so it's a little harder to tell the difference between rest and sleep for them. Plus, you know, we can't just like ask them. But much like how you can tell if someone is sleeping and not just resting their eyes, Sleep is partially defined by your arousal threshold. Essentially, like, how hard is it to get you to react to something? Something that's resting won't have a large amount of difference in what it takes to get them to notice something, but you have to put quite a bit of effort into waking someone up or something up. And in this survey, the scientist found that by essentially tiptoeing around the reef, the sharks would actually just stay still and peaceful. Essentially, they weren't waking them up. They weren't Mm. going and doing things by scaring them. They didn't notice them because they think they may have been asleep and that discovery itself is remarkable like it's insane that's something we didn't think they were able to do but it also raises all sorts of questions like how can they even do it do they switch breathing styles is that possible uh is it something they can easily do or is it costly like do they really need to plan out when they're doing this how often do they do this and if it is actually asleep how important is it to the animal 
And of course, can other sharks do this? But for now, the authors are just kind of excited to learn more about our sharky friends and how they live, with one author giving this one beautiful quote, in my opinion, that knowing how our shark can sleep is to be closer to their fascinating world and to wake from our own slumber and realise that we cannot live without these magnificent marine beings. I just think it's beautiful. That's gorgeous. Yeah, that's really, it's nice really they cool. just saw some sleeping sharks and thought about it. <laughs> wow, I'm, weird. I'm losing how my are you mind. Doing that? <laughs> the sharks, I don't really understand how we haven't noticed this before. Like the sharks are endangered, but they're also in reefs, which we do kind of swim around a lot. Yeah, so exactly. They're just hostile. Don't really know Maybe how they're under the rocks. You just miss them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, under rocks. So we were just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Move on past. There's another dead shark. Okay. Now. Yeah, oh. <laughs> like, there's no eyelids on the sharks. They're just like <laughs> they're just vibing, yeah. like little, you know, zucchinis. Yeah. Just lying lying there. Asleep. It was really funny because you can can't you can tell when they're sleeping. Like my, my fish would just sort of lean against something, mm. but because their eyes are open, obviously, like they don't have eyelids. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not like oh he's sleeping. You're just like mm. nah, maybe Oops. dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've thought that occasionally with my fish uh, when they're sleeping. Yeah, you'll see them yeah. wedge themselves under things, mm-hmm. and that's to stop them from moving around. Oh, seals do that too. Yeah, and also turtles. Turtles, one of the coolest things if you're swimming around the reef, you'll notice these divots in coral every now and again. And mm. what that actually is, is a turtle sleeping spot. Um, oh, they shut find up. these so spots sweet. that they can sit, fit in really well, and it holds them down while they're sleeping. So they'll come up every couple of every you know so often to breathe but in between mm. that they sit in their little spot and if you're there around dusk you can actually watch them fighting over the better spot <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny they'll like go near these essential like coral beds and snap at each other and bite and like hit each other with their fins it's great totally recommend snorkeling around dusk <laughs> nature's bunk bed dilemma of like top or bottom bunk. <laughs> yeah <laughs> literally that it is literally that uh. Because yeah. dinosaurs did not go extinct, we know that. No, not dinosaurs. Many dinosaurs went extinct, but mm. dinosaurs did not go extinct. We have them all around us. They're called birds. Yeah. <laughs> I just like to really mm. lay down the law there. As a marine scientist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a marine scientist, I'm here to talk to you birds. about birds. Uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah. The fish of the and air. And it may not be a may yeah. not be a meteorite. You tune into Four Triple Z, the show with no idea, with me, Max V, Izzy, Peter, and the Master Gabe. How are we going? Going pretty good, Max. Going to take you through the Doctor Who specials that have come out in the last few weeks. You've got some pre-recorded stuff that's been chopped down into some bite-sized discussion on the Christmas Mm -hmm. eras Mm -hmm. of Doctor Who 2023. And there'll be another special coming out on Christmas Day, Max, in five days' time Mm. on... I think it's on Disney Plus here first. I will need to check that. So we're hoping you'll do a review of that for us for the the new year. (laughs) Yeah, no one needs to hear that. Um, (laughs) But to get us into the spirit, Max, I found some research. Also comes out of the British Medical Journal's Christmas edition that uh, Izzy pulled from for her weird science on Barbie dolls. <laughs> this one was done by a little bunch of researchers at University of Birmingham. QS ranking, anyone? Oh, they'd be uh, 58. Uh, 42. 64. Uh, 70. 84. Oh, oh. Very close. Ooh. But this is like, this I feel like it's like the pinnacle of researchers using their powers for good, you know, mm. because they've gone through and analysed all the Doctor Who episodes that have come out during the Christmas period in the last 60 years <gasps> since it first aired mm. and, and and then used national health data to see if there are any beneficial effects or negative effects mm. of Doctor Who's airing on Christmas Day. Right. For the general public of the UK. <laughs> what they found yes. was that in that 60 years, yeah. there were 31 episodes that came out during the like 24th to the 1st, that Christmas Eve to New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. And there were 14 that came out on Christmas Day itself. In years where there was a Christmas Day episode of Doctor Who released, accounting for statistical stuff and changes in yeah. population, there were six fewer deaths per 10,000 people in the UK. <laughs> there you go. Year. Doctor saves six <laughs> lives. <laughs> Which, of course, cannot be conclusively linked to cause and effect. Mm. But the researchers say that the Doctor represents the very best of everyone 
in healthcare and probably inspired many people to better choices and better life decisions in the following year. The Doctor Who's good for your health. And and they recommended that uh, BBC and Disney Plus as the two main distributors these days Mm. uh, continue with Christmas specials for the good of everyone and I'm sure not their own. The good of mankind. It's the moral obligation. Now with this irrefutable evidence. Get Matt Smith back right now. (laughs) Do you know know something else is good for your health, Matt? Yes, I was going to say. Four triple Z. Exactly. Oh, that was good. <laughs> my segue. Nice. Yes, just go to our website at 4zzz.org.au forward slash support and then you can go and subscribe for as little as, I don't know, $20 for your pet or if you're under 18, 35 for a concession, a full subscription, $70 if you're passionate, you can do 130 or you can go large and become a super, super sub for $500. Anything to add, Gabe? Only that one of the big benefits of being a subscriber at this time of year is that the Hot 100 that 4ZZZ runs every oh, year yes, finding your 100 pop songs, mm. you get double weighting in your votes yeah, if you're a subscriber to 4ZZZ. You also nice. get some stuff like you can actually save it if you're like me and if you can't like do it you. in one sitting. I don't think anyone's it's overwhelming. Like you, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, you can go on to hot100.4ZZZ.org.au or just search 4ZZZ Hot 100 in whatever your browser is and it'll come up. You can go in, you can vote for your songs now for your Hot 100 that will take us through for our 2023 Hot 100 songs from the 4ZZZ audience. Yeah, subscribers get double, double weighted votes. Okay. Well, we might as well sign out now because yeah. <laughs> we're not going to be. We're going to have pre-record for the next hour. Yeah, we're going to take you to our <laughs> us yeah. last week. Yes, um, as we talk Doctor Who. That's right. Probably should put a little disclaimer, shall we? Anyway, we'll see what happens. We'll yeah, yeah. spoiler alert. Anyway, today I'm joined here with V, Izzy, J, my son Max, and I'm Max. This is an idea takeout special for the 60th. Anniversary of Doctor Who. <laughs> and we may be discussing uh, the three specials that just dropped on Disney, and there may be some spoilers, so we thought we'd flag that before continuing the conversation. So if you want to tune out for the next hour <laughs> while we talk about Doctor Who and the specials, then please do so now. Let's just talk about the genesis of Doctor Who and how it all began. Yeah, 1963, November the 23rd. As far as I'm aware, the only important thing that happened that day was Doctor Who came out. (laughs) (laughs) That day, no, definitely... A big (laughs) Nothing else happened on that day. You know, you can't watch the first episode at the moment. Yeah, they took it down. Yeah, there's a whole legal spat with, like, the son of one of the writers. Oh, yeah. So that whole four-parter just had to get taken down. Yeah, it's really interesting. (laughs) So that starts with the Daleks, which, you know, if you've watched either of them, you'll probably be like, yeah, the Daleks, better, better. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, little bulky, like, the original first edition of the Daleks as well. Hmm. And this yeah. is it, the William Hartnell years? Yeah, mm. William Hartnell years. Yeah, yeah. Right. okay. So it was, it, it's like, it was sort of fashioned as being an educational show. So they had William Hartnell being an eccentric old man. They had a history teacher and a science teacher, I think? Yeah. It's yeah, history yeah. and science teacher. And then the doctor's granddaughter. Yeah. Mm. Which we've conveniently now just forgotten about 60 yeah. years later. I don't think... She doesn't even get a mention in any of the yeah. specials. And she was no, going to school, not. wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're just blending in on Earth in 1963, as you do. And then the teachers get a little too curious about the street address and uh, so begins 60 years of adventure. Cute. Very nice. And then we got shown the TARDIS and how it's a police box, that blue police box. And somehow... When you walk inside, it's bigger than its actual external dimension. Okay, yeah. you say somehow as if it's not clearly just yeah. been explained. It has as it? Yeah. Dimensional engineering. Come <laughs> <laughs> on, time and relative dimension in space. Right, yeah. okay. It's like essentially another dimension that has yeah. been like that they've stepped into. into. I think yeah. we've got to take yeah. it off space and use Max. Dimensional engineering. Well, come on. Yeah. Don't forget how we fell on the police box as well. Yeah. Um, we had, wasn't it like you could change yeah. whatever yeah. vessel of movement and then it got stuck on the police box? Yes. Correct. It's been like yeah. that for like 60 years. And so. he's like, I should probably repair it. And they did in the 80s. There was a Colin Baker episode, I want to say. I mm. think so. I remember the eccentricness. Yeah. yeah. 
They sort of briefly did it in um, Capaldi's era as well, where he yeah. like, finds a TARDIS that is mm. like a just like the plain cylinder that they they say that the TARDIS is initially. Oh. But yes, the chameleon circuit broke on his one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we got stuck with that iconic the blue, blue box. box. Yeah, yeah. Mm. which was already old. Yeah, for the sixties. <laughs> so I was in a junkyard. Do we want to talk about the the first special? Yeah, let's get into let's get into the specials. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 So the first of the three specials that came out was the Star Beast. So it's been it's been really interesting this like concept because as folks may remember, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, the thirteenth mm. Doctor, she regenerated into David Tennant, who was the tenth Doctor, obviously. And so it's like, whoa, what is he doing back? The first thing he does is run into Donna Noble, best companion of all time. Fight me on that. Mm. Um, and the two of them started off on these three specials, which were made to celebrate. But she didn't recognize him at the no, time. No, no. Yeah. Um, Donna's memory was wiped at the end of her season's run with the Doctor because she inherited like the Metacrisis, which was like essentially all of the Doctor's knowledge into her brain, which was frying her. So he had to erase her memories in order to keep her safe. And if she ever remembered him, she, her brain would explode. Yeah. So. so that's a really big tension of the Star Beast at the beginning is the Doctor, you know, not really knowing why he's been brought back into contact with Donna Noble, trying to, you know, stay away from her and sort of keep that barrier so she doesn't remember him and, you know, get fried. But circumstances seem to be bringing them together. Yeah. Yeah. That's essentially the premise. We're also introduced to Donna's daughter. She's been married and had a daughter in the time since which i love because it's one of those things where it's like if you actually look at the timeline rose who's donna's daughter is like only meant to be like 13 years old and she's like clearly like 16 17 <laughs> yeah around that like mm. which i think is very funny because sometimes they love to just be like oh canon or things that make sense never mind no time is relative time is relative exactly. yeah can we talk about why the regeneration happens because this originally wasn't meant to be in Doctor Who where he would regenerate yeah necessarily. They, they sort of made it up as they were going along mm. at some point they're like oh yeah the Doctor's probably an alien isn't he like because at some point they were like oh is he just a really advanced human from the 42nd century I think was the initial premise and then no 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 he's from another world he's from another planet mm. and then they decided well that gives us a license to replace the actor if we need to because basically tragic but also there's some comedic value in him flubbing all his lines and uh but so they, they decide okay look it's this is getting a bit of an issue we we still really like the show though we would like to see it continue but we probably do need another actor in the main role so they cast patrick troughton and then the rest is history mm -hmm. so yeah, just using regeneration as like a narrative device mm -hmm. um, yeah which is a really interesting way of like shifting through um actors that's right. creating these next waves and it's like it's a now a generational thing yeah. yeah it also gives doctor who its unique ability that it has over other shows to like clean slate every mm. couple of years like yes the premise stays the same but there's always this idea that like well even if the last bit was shit or whatever mm. oh, it's a new doctor anything that's right happen. yeah and they bring that's their the own thing. Yeah, take on yeah, it. Bent to it, yeah, yeah. 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 Like their own TARDIS, the new companions, new everything. Yeah. Which is really interesting why like David Tennant came back, because mm. I think that hasn't really happened before. No. Um, they were gonna do it in the eighties though, funnily enough. They really? were gonna yeah. yeah. They they were toying around with replacing Colin Baker with Patrick Troughton. Oh interesting. <laughs> but that didn't work out. How yeah. are they gonna spin that one? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> probably, the way, probably the way they did this time and just hand wave it away. I don't know. Yeah. Something about needing therapy or something. That, that was the excuse <laughs> in the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> essentially. Because, yeah, if we can talk on, like, regeneration, because normally, isn't it how they choose the next face of the person? How do they... It was like... Wasn't it, like, a death thing? Or I don't quite remember. Because then having another doctor come back was, like, a big thing. Mm. Like, the body of another doctor coming back. Yeah. And that's they, why David Tennant was such a massive thing. Yeah, because usually, like, any anniversary special, they'll have, like, more than one one mm. doctor come back and it's like some time stream thing or like the time lords playing around 
Yeah. Like, ah, we need three doctors. Yeah. <laughs> well, one was bad enough that we need three now. <laughs> <Yeah. That's> right. <laughs> but yeah, the Star Beast as an episode, I mean, I thought it was really fun. As I said, like, I, I love the Doctor and Donna, so seeing them play around and get back into that same energy of just, like, bouncing off each other. It was pretty silly. Yeah, and an interesting way of dealing with the Metacrisis as well. I don't know how much we want to go into it. Who would have thought the Star Beast would turn rogue? Well, that was an interesting one because, like, that was actually a monster from classic Who or from comics, I think. Yeah, Yeah. it's a Marvel comic book. Yeah, Yeah. that has, like, returned. So it was sort of like an if-you-know-you-know situation (laughs) where it's like, yeah, the reveal was... Yeah, it's an interesting one when they're serializing something that's... Mm. I want to know where he got the wig from. Like, where... Did he just have that on him? Like... What wig? Which wig? When he was... The court recorders in session. Oh, the judge. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But this is... This is, like, the fun of Doctor Who. Like, I love when it's just like... And now he's pulled a hat out of his pocket. (laughs) Like, okay. Yeah. Why not? I don't, I don't want to understand anything. <laughs> I just want things we to We're arguing happen. the logistics of Doctor Who <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean. What do we think of the new Sonic being able to do all that? The screwdriver? Yeah. God, oh, don't start me with that screwdriver. Oh my God. Really? I'm, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm so Come over on. that screwdriver. Max hates fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's so whimsical. What do you mean? It can just, it's like the, the Swiss army knife of oh, screwdrivers. Yeah. But it always yeah. has been. Yeah. yeah, it's okay. But still. Open you know, every door. Like, yeah, like like we're, we're, we're at a critical point in the plot, and we're going to solve this situation. Ah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Solved. Yeah, so I, I know. Think, like CGI has just gotten good enough that they can do that now. Yeah, so I think it's right. fine that they do. Yeah, He's exactly. an alien. Who who cares? Yeah, it's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I actually really liked him like being able to draw like a Did shield like yeah. 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 and hide behind but, it. Yeah, yeah. So like fun. yes, of course, it's like too much. <laughs> but I mean, I think the fun thing about Doctor Who as well is like they use that in that moment because it looked cool and that sort mm. of thing. But there'll definitely be episodes later or whatever where they, a shield would be really handy, and that's yeah. <laughs> oh, suddenly the Sonic can't do that. Yeah. It's it's all about the fun. Okay. Now I'm gonna get you upset here, Jay, because yes. oh, no. I'm gonna talk about the original theme song. Yes. And how it was generated. Okay. And it's a misunderstood thing of the theremin being used. It wasn't yes. yeah, a no theremin. theremin. It was actually a sine wave com- uh, generator. Mm. So they had multiple sine wave generators creating that sound. Yeah, which was then like recorded to tape, cut up a bit, and that's so it's like it's got some of those harmonics from like tape saturation. Mm. It's one of those ones where it was a mystery for a long time, and then and then people that were working at the radiophonic workshop at the time were like, "Oh wait, you guys are actually interested in the history of this?" Like, mm. well, here it is. Yeah, it was this test tone oscillator that we used, it's used for part of the baseline as well, like for the really low part of the baseline. It's like a square that's wave. That's really that is cool. super cool. Mm. Yeah. Very alien. Yeah, very yeah, alien. Yeah, very like. Yeah. It sets the time, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I do love the new take of it with the piano added in. Mm. Yeah. It's like Rass so delicious yeah, yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah. 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 The new opening credits Give as well. Give me some really like, good. Yeah. <laughs> the whip zoom. <laughs> I, yeah. So much. It's so much. I like. I love it. It's so much fun to watch. But yeah, when it like. There's a moment where the TARDIS breaks out of the time vortex and then like so the camera like goofy. zooms in yeah. really dramatically and it's just it's such a stupid move and I love it. It's yeah. great. It feels very like JJ Abrams sort of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 It gives that kind of like it's so it's very whiplashy in the first yeah. but I can kind of get behind it. I'm like this is really fun. Yeah. yeah. See, I just think it's like very unserious and that's like the core of what Doctor Who should be. Yes. I don't think it needs to be like this really high level, mm. you know, poly like net well yeah netflix style like production yeah. um they got I disney think, money now though they do have disney money now for better or for worse but yeah i, I think you know <laughs> <laughs> i think just it's what makes doctor who doctor who yeah. yeah no i um i really agree with you on that like i think some of the episodes where things are like more serious and really sort of like dark and heavy and have that like gravity about them are great like really really fun but i think like the broader arcs when when doctor who sort of started changing from from being like really fun little episodes or really interesting little self-contained episodes to some of the like i don't know when they tried to make the seasons themselves really serious in terms of like introducing Mm. the timeless child or all this like (laughs) suddenly like cosmically relevant stuff where it's Mm. just like 
Yeah. Just let the show be fun. Just let it be mm. silly, you know? Um, and you're not a big fan of the unit as such? Well, I'm not a bit... I, I loved unit in, like, the classic Who, yeah. when it's, like, a silly little scientist place. I don't like and the And the pretty whole, theater. Yeah. yeah that's right. I don't enjoy yeah. the whole the doctor is the president of Earth. And also, <laughs> I couldn't that was pretty so weird. Yeah. yeah. That was a Capaldi thing, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 I couldn't take it seriously. And like, was it the giggle where they just, it was like the Avengers building. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know. Exactly. And Kate like, says to the doctor, like, do I have your permission to like laser so beam this <laughs> satellite? And he's like, so yes. Yeah. Like, oh my God. <laughs> it was, yeah, that was very like the actual, yeah. Keep mm. the military out of my doctor. <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I feel. Because mm. yeah. I think on V, the legacy of Doctor Who, I think it, a lot of people expect it is this shining golden star of like British, I don't know, film. Mm. It's like sci fi, gorgeous. And it can be, especially in those longer arcs. I especially remember like David Tennant's arcs and Matt Smith's as well. Um, and the Ninth Doctor's. But also, at its very premise, it was just like it had these gorgeous filler episodes that were supposed to be fun and whimsical and not that serious. And I think now if you're expecting that from three specials, you're kind mm -hmm. of putting yourself up for failure a little bit by like expecting that. And yeah, they've got Disney money for better or for worse now. <laughs> but I think, yeah, just coming back to its roots and especially like playing into Donna Noble and the, like, the Doctor's dynamic again. Yeah. So nostalgic. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. that's so much. Um, I feel like we can't talk about the Star Beast without eventually talking about my favorite. <laughs> oh, the interesting thing they've done with like introducing the trans character and introducing mm. transness to Doctor Who, um, which I think is really interesting because like, not to get all like nerdy about it, because I wrote an essay on this last semester, <laughs> but like which you got a seven for? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, the thing about like. Doctor Who and like gender is they're in like a really weird sort of place because if they start to like acknowledge transness in the world it becomes a point where like the the logic of the doctor themselves as like a gender changing character becomes sort of like interesting because if we I guess like if we're acknowledging that you know David Tennant just because he regenerated just because the doctor regenerated into a body that looks like David Tennant's doesn't necessarily make it like male I don't know, it just sort of like starts to like unpick mm. the logic of like, wait, but male Time Lord and female Time Lord mm. and like... Yeah. Time Lady. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> I actually thought going into the Star Beast, like I'd heard some of my friends complaining about like how cringe and terrible the trans representation was. So I was like, had my hackles up about it, I mm. guess. And then when I watched it, I was like, yeah, it's cringe, but it's... Doctor Who is cringe. Like, yeah. it has to be, you know, like it's a bit silly, but that's... That's fine. Like the whole binary, binary, non-binary. <laughs> like, what the hell was that? <laughs> it was so stupid, but you know what? That's fine. That's fine. And you just know that after Russell wrote that line, he, he thought put that he pen ate. down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the trans community are back. <laughs> They're gonna be thanking me for this one. <laughs> Um, not quite Russell. <laughs> um, the only thing that really kind of pissed me off was that line where they like Donna and Rose say to the doctor like, oh, if you were still a woman, you would have understood this, which is kind of really strange because then it's like the idea of like man brains have different emotions to women brains have different emotions is like very bioessentialist and also like turf logic like that's mm -hmm. what transphobes use when they say like you could transition but you still have a man brain or you still have a woman brain and that makes you you know so it was kind of like that line i didn't really enjoy and it frustrates me when i feel like doctor who more than a lot of other media has like a really interesting it's in a really interesting position like it could say a lot like your main character changes genders you could do so mm -hmm. much with that and like have some really interesting conversations around that so to like then just be like no no the doctor's a man now he was a woman he's a man now and like, like hours ago yeah, yeah. yeah and, we're, and we're just not going to explore that but then also to have a trans character in the show so they're kind of trying to explore that but like not really trying to explore that was like interesting not that yeah. yeah also what if she could have thought of it one she as jodie whittaker solve it as well, that's sort of like that line opens that up. It's like, well... Yeah, yeah. If the woman doctor was here, she would have known what to do. Is like, like really strange. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> could she not have written it down? Like, oh, if I run into Donna again... Yeah. Yeah. Sharpie on the arm. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Yeah, and it was also just strange. Like, 
the whole line of I don't really understand what Rose being trans had to do with them saving the day because they were just like wow because the doctor is male and female and both and neither and therefore and I was kind of like oh and, and therefore <laughs> <laughs> but thank, okay thank you Russell <laughs> I guess it was just a moment to be like trans people exist which I'll take I'll take that um, mm. but yeah it was it was kind of interesting I think they should let the doctor be weirder and transer I think so too I think like it's like you said Jay like I think there is potential there and it's like really really interesting potential that I just think I don't know they're not brave enough or they just don't have the capacity to explore that like the writers maybe just don't have that background I guess yeah yeah it's um, it's it's interesting that they like bring in a trans character but don't have any trans writers or anything like that that yeah. might have been able to like have a different perspective like I enjoyed the line where he like pulls out the psychic paper and then and then it's like it says mistress and that sort of thing and he's like catch up but then I'm kind of like no but even that could be a moment like maybe if you were a woman an hour ago or whatever maybe mm. you are like oh yeah mistress I guess that works or like you know mm. yeah why does changing the body inherently change the sense of gender what what is what essentially they're saying is that like when his body changed to look like that now he is a man now which inherently links the idea of like gender is something that is physical and immutable in your body mm. which is like the opposite to them what they're trying to say the rest of the time so yeah i don't know those are my yeah. thoughts <laughs> as we know they did three specials do yes. we talk about the second special yeah for the 60th max what were your thoughts on the second special? <laughs> well, yeah. i may have fallen asleep while watching that <laughs> shame that, that, that is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this was, I think, my favourite out of the three. I think for similar reasons to Jay. But essentially it starts, it opens with the Doctor and Donna um, back in the TARDIS. Donna has spilt coffee on the interface which zoots them off into, you know, basically the edge of the universe. And they find themselves on this very strange spaceship, which doesn't have, it doesn't seem to have any sort of life on board, any life forms on board. But they come across this weird little like robot thingy that is very very slowly advancing down a hallway so there are lots of mysteries for them to solve like you know where have they landed what's the situation here why is no one on board but you know things seem to be happening around them and that's basically the premise for the episode and Mavity, of course oh that was I really forgot. fun we have to talk about Mavity. <laughs> sorry <laughs> i glossed over the, the most important bit yeah. oh, well, they're, as they're hurtling towards the edge of the universe, they make a few stops along the way, it's implied, but we get to see one on, on screen, and the Doctor ends up at the top of an apple tree. And he's thinking, hey, apples, 1666, you, you're not Sir Isaac Newton. <laughs> and of course, Donna being Donna has to make a god-awful pun about it. Of course, Mr. Isaac Newton, you of all people would understand the gravity of the situation. Uh, Unfortunately, he doesn't quite hear that. <laughs> he, he remembers it as Mavity, and then from then on, the concept of gravity is Mavity. And I really enjoyed that because, like, when they left, I, I I said to June, who I was watching it with, I was like, I hope that they call it Mavity for the rest of time. And then they did call it Mavity in the episode, and I was like, yes, <laughs> so Doctor Who is so back. <laughs> <laughs> so while they're exploring this spaceship, they eventually. What I love about Wild Blue Yonder, this episode, is that it chucks in a couple of my favorite ever sci-fi tropes. And again, this will have like sort of brief and vague spoilers so be aware of that if you're just tuning in but what i i love about it i love abandoned spaceships as a concept sci-fi ah love that stuff i love shape-shifting and like body doubles and that sort of thing so what they do is while they're exploring the spaceship donna and the doctor accidentally run into copies of themselves that are just slightly off it was done so well and so creepily um, that I really, really enjoyed it. Another thing that I adore in sci-fi is when they run into alien species that are like figuring them out. When the, when the figuring out goes both ways and there's this sort of like urgency about like we have to understand them before they understand us. Because when they understand us, it's over. <laughs> like, <laughs> so things like there's a point in which the one of the aliens like drops something and then it disappears and then... Uh, Donna is like, hey, where did that go that you were holding before? 
and the alien is like, oh, when you drop something, it disappears. Like it's gone. It, sorry, it stays there. It doesn't yeah. just disappear. So I love that idea of like these aliens are like learning the rules of the universe by like mm. this sort of like. Yeah, not just like the rules about the life forms that they're meeting, but also about, you know, it's like space and like matter and just these really foundational rules. I love that. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. So yeah, that was why I absolutely adored that episode more than any of the others i also really enjoyed like sometimes in sci-fi they try and pull off these concepts that are impossible to really do well things like multi-universes you there comes a time where you end up unimpressed by it because it's like you know we're skipping through all these universes that happen to end up looking like pretty much exactly the same but except like, there's blips yeah oh. and in this one we all have wings and in this one you know but it's like the same concept really like we're still it's still society and another one of those that that constantly runs into that problem is that idea of like body doubles and that sort of thing because when you're dealing with an alien species that can eventually completely replicate a person there comes a time where like this stops being able to be a way out of the situation without just like a cheap ending or something that feels like a bit like cut short because really if they can perfectly replicate you have all the same thoughts that you're having at the exact same time you're not getting out of that situation really like well that's the, that's the zygon thing isn't it yeah <laughs> it's literally like oh yeah we're just not going to get out of this situation so yeah. yeah 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 like and and i enjoyed that this episode the way that they did it at the end without spoiling anything it felt really satisfying to me mm. like i didn't feel like oh that was the easy answer or like oh I was waiting for like something to happen that it was like, oh yeah, and that's that's how they're getting out of it. And they did like a bit of a bait and switch where there's like a moment where I'm like, oh okay, it's solved now. And then like you realize like, no, I'm not, I'm not sure if that did solve it. So it it did a good job at like keeping me like engaged and I felt like satisfied by the execution of the concept, which can be really hard to pull off when you're introducing a concept that that is that large and. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think like the stakes felt really, really high at that point as well. Yes. Which is, you know, it's one of those instances where Doctor Who does benefit from being really serious. And that was what I really liked about that episode, actually, was there was a lot of, you know, interpersonal exploration between the Doctor and Donna. Because a lot of mavity. <laughs> yeah, you know, the situation had a lot of mavity. But yeah, because the concept itself was so like self-contained and so tight, I guess, they actually... And it was just the two of those characters. They were able to really get into a lot of what was unspoken between them for a long time, what's unspoken about the Doctor's character, mm. and actually get into those depths mm. because it's about who they are. And I think using you know body double aliens as a vessel for exploring who they are was really, really effective. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah. Anyone have anything else to add on that one? Well, I'm not adding anything to the number two. <laughs> <laughs> and it was at that point that Max woke up. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the story about why they lost Doctor Who episodes. Yeah, well, it, it's basically, it comes down to videotape is expensive. Mm. Or it was like back then, like really, really expensive. So the idea was they would record an episode of Doctor Who or whatever uh, TV show. And because of the way that TV sort of came out, especially in the UK, more out of like the sort of uh, stage scene rather than the film scene the unions were negotiating the idea that like well if you want to air this story again no we want our actors to work again we want you to actually hire our, our people they can come back and perform the thing again so the fee structures were such that it was actually like impractical to ever rerun anything back in the 60s so they figured well videotape being expensive cheaper if we wanted to rerun to hire them again so Let's just wipe them. Let's just record over the top. So none of the 60s episodes survive in their original form. None of them are actually on videotape. Lord knows what actually ends up on them, but hmm. <laughs> that would be interesting. Like, what are, what, are the, what are the BBC's black and white stuff that they have, still have on, have on tape? But luckily, we do still have some copies in existence, thanks to the idea that basically because videotape formats were so specific to country, Whenever the BBC wanted to export something, like say to Australia, perhaps, they would do what's called telecine, which means effectively, fancy word for point film camera at TV mm. screen, record onto film. Because film is a fundamentally like universal medium, you can just shine a light at it and play it back. So the stuff existed on film, and then that would get sent over 
across to yonder, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. Yeah, the uh, and and that's how they were able to then. It was a it was a group effort, wasn't it, by fans of Doctor Who that then started to try and track down as well as the BBC and themselves. the BBC. Okay. Once they realised the commercial value of it, go figure. Yeah, a lot, a lot you, you find a lot of stuff like it'll be like Hong Kong had uh, Tomb of the Cybermen, uh, Australia we had I think oh we had we had a couple. Uh, there was an episode of the Crusade that was discovered in a skip in New Zealand in awful quality, but they're still like, okay, well, better than nothing. <laughs> and how did you get to, into a skip in New Zealand? Just one, yeah. one reel. Yeah. And then uh, the most recent ones, um, which came out around the 50th anniversary, actually, uh, they were found in Nigeria, I believe. And that was The Enemy of the World and The Web of Fear, which it was... Uh, doctor. Uh, Patrick Troughton, okay. and it was the first appearance of the Brigadier. Oh, Unfortunately, that, that episode got sniped. No! That specific episode got sniped out from under them. So they have like they have one, two, four, five, six. Uh, <laughs> you tune into four triple Z. You tune into Four Triple Z, and the show is a no idea with me, Max, Izzy, J, V, and my son Max. So we're covering the Doctor Who specials that have been dropped by Disney because it's the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. Do we want to talk about the third special? Yeah, so we get into the villain who is the toy maker mm. who featured in 60s Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, a William Hartnell episode. Unfortunately, they are now redoing it, I think, because of um, they're going to animate it. But um, like many of the 60s episodes of Doctor Who, uh, they're unfortunately lost because of the BBC's policies in terms of the cost of videotape. So the, what do you call the villain of the show, being the toy maker? What's their claim to fame? Can I just say, the accents, I, I hated the like German accent. It was so bad. I actually really, I thought it was really funny. I'm gonna <laughs> the original Celestial Toy Maker episode is one of the most racist episodes of Doctor Who of all time because they um, have uh, a white guy painted up in a very orientalist depiction. And I really enjoyed I forget what it is now, but like at one point in the episode, he does actually make like a racist remark or something. Okay, no, no, it's in the cold open. Yeah. It's towards, you know, the other character who's buying this doll, this puppet of him. Yeah. The character looks brown, probably, you know, South Asian descent. And I can't remember the context, but the Celestial Toy Maker says to him, it's probably really warm where you come from. And he's like, oh, I'm from Southampton or someplace in England. Yeah. That was it. That was the racist comment. And it's really funny to me because like a, a lot of people that I you were like a bit hesitant about like wow how are they gonna bring back this villain who is like historically quite an offensive representation and like are they gonna acknowledge that or are they just gonna do something completely different and I think it was very funny of them to be like no he's just racist (laughs) 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 he was racist then he's racist now I thought it was very, very funny, but that's a bit of a tangent. This was your, the Max's favourite episode. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Izzy as well. So what was it about this episode that you guys really liked? I I think it's just, it's, it's, Doctor Who is fun when there's a villain. I think Mm -hmm. that's, because, I mean, I mean, the previous two specials, yes, they're villains, but this is, now this is a villain, like, this is a proper villain. I think that's where the show can really shine. I especially also like the, the quick little recap. Bit. I think that really sold it for me, the little puppet show. I mean, spoilers if you haven't watched Doctor Who from like 20, what, 11 through <laughs> 17, but it's he runs through the fates of uh, basically every companion that died. I especially loved his delivery when it's like, and Clara, and then sh- she was killed by a bird? <laughs> like, it's like, I guess that makes sense. Like, okay, we'll just go with that. I totally agree. It was a really powerful force and like a really strong, like, nemesis yeah yeah exactly yeah Yeah. like the doctor's actually playing against this mastermind sort of thing 
Um, I didn't like that the games were simple, though. Yeah, it was sort of... Mm. It's like... It felt like there should have been more complexity in the game. Like, they, it, like, the rules shouldn't have been like, oh, well, you know, this is, like, the first game ever or something, and it's best of three. Like, what was all that? I didn't like any of that. And they didn't do the best of three in the end. They did. They did. Did yeah. they? The ball game was the... Best the of three? Game. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the first game that they played together, the Doctor and the Toymaker, was that episode back in the 60s. Oh, I see four, what you're saying, yeah. Which the Doctor wins. Yes. And the second one is the first game they play in this special hmm. uh that card game which the toy maker wins and then the doctor proposes you know it's basically his bid to get out of this bind he's like no you know one more chance one more game mm-hmm. um and that's the ball game best of three yeah maxenia what did you what brought you to this episode uh well it was basically a vehicle for him to regenerate wasn't it mm. so mm. i was basically watching to the end Right. to see the regeneration how that would be explored yeah. and that was interesting too and we probably won't give that one away too much no but again it is an anniversary special so mm. more than one doctor has to rock up it's just oh, like it's true. a given that's true I don't it's a given that. it's a trope at this point flag there's a possibility of like pretty major spoilers in this bit so if you want to like tune out the next five minutes or yeah. whatever um, yeah but yeah yeah I I actually really enjoyed th- this Every time they do something different with, like, the Doctor's timeline and that sort of thing, it's always controversial. I'm a big timeless child hater, or more like ignorer, but <laughs> yeah. I just pretend it never happened, which I think is the same with a lot of Doctor Who fans. But it happened. They're acknowledging it, like, which is kind of interesting. Not through, to me. Yeah, through <laughs> these, all these yeah. specials, it's like, yeah, the flux happened. Yeah, I don't know where I'm from. That it's like okay cool this is interesting yeah in jay's brain that's just like whenever they acknowledge it it's just yeah. beeping and like yeah, 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 <laughs> because again like i mean there's a good out which is like uh the master was full of it i mean it's not the first time the matrix has told lies can we talk about thing. the master yeah. the tooth yeah. where yeah. is the master the Wait, wait, should we talk about regeneration first or or just skip to the master? Okay, regen? Mm. Yeah. The, the way they did it this time, we want to talk about that or mm. the tearing of the body in yeah. half? So, so this Call is it by its name, Max. By generation. Oh, sorry. Gotta use the B word. But yeah, like I was saying, I, I usually am like a bit... Uh, things about like, this are always controversial when it's like big changes to how the Doctor works whatever but I actually loved By Generation I thought it was really it was kind of silly and I actually like I, I really like it when they introduce and play with like alien concepts and I like the idea that regeneration can sometimes like go funny mid-process because that feels like you know all human or all like biological processes can go weird sometimes mm, and the idea that like a Doctor who isn't ready yet can accidentally come out before they're done cooking is yeah. like really fun to me actually okay, um, yeah. it's a really interesting concept so like by generation as I understand it is like Shudi's doctor popped out the regeneration but like Tennant's doctor isn't done yet mm-hmm. so the implication is that like he will continue to live his life and then eventually when he dies the timers will come back and he'll continue on as Shudi yeah. so it sort of like gives a little like loop in the in the timeline which I actually yeah. think is pretty fun that's why I reckon that um, there's th- there's that one ball throw where Tennant's like, hey, we're on the same team yes, here. That's like, right. But it's because he already knows the outcome. Should mm-hmm. he already knows the outcome? True. It's done. Oh, like, I never thought about that. Yeah. That's Whoa. really cool. I, don't, I've, I haven't read that theory online, so I think I'm pretty yeah. I'm original on this one. <laughs> you hear first. Yeah. <laughs> and what do we think about the new, doc- the new, new doctor? Sexy. He's been hyping it up for like over a year now. Yes. Information. So, <laughs> seeing that photo shoot yeah. initially where it all dawned in the garments, like, come on. That's you can't. Good. This is like the most anticipated Doctor Who, like, doctor in so long. I'm so excited. Cool. But the master. Yes, the master. The master. The ultimate villain in my in my book. So yeah. The idea of the master in this episode, sorry, did you no, want to no, explain? No, no, no. Um, is that the master played a game with the celestial toy maker and lost and has been imprisoned in the toy maker's gold tooth for all. Mm, That's why we saw that at the. Okay, gotcha. Yes, Were you watching? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I I sort of very. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> then right at the end of the episode, we see the camera pans down and we see the tooth lying on the ground and someone picks it up a mysterious a mysterious hand mysterious with hand. red mm. painted nails 
I really want to. I still really, really want to see Sasha Dewan's master with Shuri Gatwa. Yeah, and probably the best thing of the Jodie Whittaker era. Yes. Yeah. Yes. By far. He was so much fun. Like anytime that was like really anytime Jodie and Sasha were allowed to play against each other and they had those conversations, both yeah. of them in in those moments would just rose leagues above the rest of the writing of that series. It's very rare for Doctor Who to play around with the Masters timeline. Like, usually, it's like... Well, they, 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 they did do it, though, with the... Um, with Missy and John Sim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But As you say, yeah, rare, though, rare, yeah. It would be interesting to run into, like, a Sasha who hasn't run into Jodie yet, or something like that. Like, it tends to be, like, a bit more chronological with the Master than... Yeah, than not, yeah. Yeah, like, like it's, yeah it's assumed that all the battles they had fought, they had fought already, yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's kind of fun and interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where they go with it. I mean, clearly they're setting it up. They also mentioned, like, the Black Guardian key to time that was that was fun that whole conversation as well like yeah you, you know like since since the toy maker we haven't really stopped that conversation between the two doctors is, was really interesting especially for what they yeah. specifically referenced exile on earth key to time legopolis which is like okay that's an interesting choice should we talk about who your favorite doctor well i guess everyone's uh, thinking the new doctor is going to be the favorite uh, i haven't seen much though yeah. yeah we haven't i I do think that, like, in a very, very small amount of time, should he get what immediately just sort of, like, imprinted mm. on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that the right choice of words? Or? I don't know. Like, he's very cool to me. Mm-hmm. He's got in my brain right away. Fair enough. Yeah, I mm. feel like he really, especially, I find this really impressive, like, coming up against David Tennant, who's, you know, been, like, a long-time favourite of fans. But I feel like should he get what, you know, coming up against Tennant in this latest special he just really, really held his own. Like, he was just so impressive and, you know, had such command and such, yeah, authority about him that you just kind of fell in love with him immediately. I want to know where his pants were. They were on David Tennant. Yeah, so... Yeah. Th- so split. This is the important thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the, the clothes split between them. So, yeah. um, should he ended up with the shoes and the underwear mm-hmm. and the shirt and tie. So, Tennant got the pants, but not the underwear. And, like, the jacket, but not the... Uh, gotcha. Shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I don't pay that much attention when I'm watching it, so... <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about this very deeply, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're your favourite doctors, though. Like, we, yes. we go, yeah, go around the table. Around. And ex- okay. Excluding Tennant and Shudy, how about that? Whoa, that's... Yeah. Whoa, okay, can we talk about the cultural <laughs> impact of David Tennant in the first go-around? Because, come on, like... Yeah. That's like for me, it was 10th, 11th, uh, or 9, 10, 11 for yeah. me growing up, like yeah. from 2008 till mm. probably what, 2015 was um, Matt Smith. <laughs> Just like drew in the most crowd. It was peak writing as well, with all like some of the best writers there. And it was just one of those ones where it was like y- you had arcs, but you also had like softer filler episodes. So very nostalgic for me, but I guess mm. probably 11th, Matt Smith, and yeah. like Amy and Rory, those companions. So it'd be Doctor 3 and 4 for me. Oh, yeah. Because of my vintage. <laughs> so, <laughs> so number three was... Who's John Pertwee. Yeah, and Who then... Who is great, by the way. Yeah. I love the third Doctor. Mm, yeah. And then Tom Baker, number four. So That little known Doctor. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember for, probably I was introduced to Doctor Who during number three and number four when um, they did the regeneration and just scared mm. the... Fr- Freaked it, freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. What was going on? I wasn't. I didn't know that they used that as a plot device. Oh. Yeah, originally, yeah. So that was the first regeneration I watched too. Because okay. of the fortieth anniversary. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's twenty years ago. That's, yeah. a, that's <laughs> a minute. Yeah, but I think yeah, it's definitely between. Uh, it's either Patrick Troughton or Peter Capaldi for me. I think. Mm. <laughs> v packed up. Speedy gets it. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Peter Capaldi truther, if that wasn't clear. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. obviously. V and I, I think, are well documented Peter Capaldi truthers. <laughs> so, yeah. We just want him swearing a bit more. That's yeah, a bit more Malcolm Tucker. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fun. Oh, they, they do that joke, don't they? Like, the, the psychic paper is just swearing on one of them. It's like, yeah. I say, a lot, of, a lot of repressed thoughts in here. <laughs> Anyway, I hope everyone enjoyed this. This is uh, no idea doing a recap of Doctor Who for the 60th anniversary. And I have to say, pending Gabe overriding me and forcing this bit out of the show, yeah. I do intend to like 
have a little bit for each episode as they come out weekly mm. in the new season as oh, okay. well, That'd be good. which we could do on air or when do they start airing um so the first episode's christmas and mm. then i don't know mm. i don't think they're i don't know if they'll launch into the new season after that it'll probably be like another couple mm-hmm. weeks or and then in the new year it'll start or something like that merry christmas and a happy new year <laughs> from the no idea team <laughs> And we'll speak to you next week. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science.